Welcome back to another hour of Scotch Hour. I'm Noah. And I'm Jesse. All right, this is episode 112. Uh, first of all, before we get started, I just want to thank uh, all of our listeners and, and viewers, as well as all of our subscribers on YouTube, Rumble, and all of our podcast platforms. Uh, please uh, like, share, and subscribe if you like our content, and leave some comments below. Uh, if you have any, if you have like any requests or any type of topics you want us to discuss for our, for our smarter challenges or any scotches that you like us to try, please drop those into our comment section so that way we can uh, take a look at those and and address them and uh, and and have those on one of our upcoming shows. If there's anything you think we could do to improve, let us know, and we'll be more than happy to look at those as well. Also, if you could, if you're watching this for the first time on YouTube, <laughs> please hit that subscribe button. We're trying to get to a thousand subscribers. Even if you don't listen to us ever again, <laughs> all we simply ask you to do is just hit that subscribe button to help us out and reach that goal. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, for tonight's lineup, we have Tomatin Koba Khan. Con! <laughs> Sorry, I, I just I, I just think of Star Trek when I saw that the pronunciation of the con. I agree. It's one of like Benedict Cumberbatch's best roles as Con in Star <laughs> Trek. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. He did a great job in that, and I also like the original too, the original uh, version of of Con. Uh, and it is a great twist on how they how they flip flop that on in Star Trek. Anyways, uh, back on topic here. Uh, then after the uh, after our Scotch review, we have our shout outs and get it together's. Our restaurant review of Maggiano's Little Italy lunch, uh, the lunch version there. And then our smarter challenge, we're going to be ta- uh, discussing the uh, Last of Us TV series from HBO. Scotch review. All right, as mentioned, this is the Tamatin Kubakan. It is a very interesting scotch in the sense that this distillery, the Tomatin Distillery, closes down their regular distillation process, or I should say changes that distillation process for one week out of every year, and they make a peated scotch. So one out of 52 portions of the year, this is what the result is. A peated scotch, otherwise the other 51 weeks out of the year, or however many weeks that they're actually distilling, um, this is that one special week, but the rest are all non-peated scotches. The Tomatin Distillery is, really it's kind of got an interesting non-dramatic history in the sense that uh, it was in 1892 um, that the final route of the Highland Railway would pass through Tomatin. And so a local man named John McDougall began planning the Tomatin Spay District Distillery registered on June 8th, 
1897, but it closed very shortly after that. And I almost feel bad for the guy because I don't think he was trying anything wrong. He's trying to do everything right. Closed shortly after that in 1906. Um, in 1909, uh, it, it wine and spirits merchants reopening the distillery as uh, it was opened with two still capacities uh, capable of producing 255,000 liters a year, which is not a lot. Back then, that was probably a lot. In today's market, that's really not a lot. Um, a lot changes and doesn't change then between 1909 and 1985. Uh, you skip forward after a bunch of running uh, basic scotch, and in 1985, the recession um, led to the close. Um, so it was one of the few distilleries that was closed while it had actually state of the art equipment to produce the spirit, um, which is interesting because all the other ones were the antiquated ones, and some of them can see almost condemned as if they were not fit to continue operating. But this was a state of the art distillery, um, and it did, it was forced to shortly close it door its doors 1986 two japanese companies takara shunzo and okurako purchased the distillery and still to this day are the majority shareholders of the business 2002 actually let's jump back um 1996, J&W Hardy Limited become part of the Tomatin Group, bringing with it an antiquary premium scotch blend. Now, here's where we uh, appreciate the history change, is that it was shortly after that, 2002, they removed a bunch of the stills and decided they were no longer going to be doing blended scotches because they wanted to focus on a higher quality uh, versus quantity of product, and they transitioned to just single malt scotches. In 2005, that is the uh, first Kubicon Scotch production, and uh, in 2016, they did a major packaging change, um, but they do still believe that top-class wood has got a place in their distillery. Yeah, so the uh, Kubicon. Kubicon. I'm guessing that must be like the Chubacabra that we're <laughs> used to here in like uh, the Southwest, the Mexico area. So as it's red, it's basically a, a giant hellhound that haunts the distillery. It's only seen once every generation or so. Yeah, I guess it haunts the village, right? <laughs> yeah. Haunts, so yeah, it says the story behind the Tomatin comes from the legend of the spectral dog, uh, uh, Kubicon, who has haunted the Highland Village for countless years. So I'm guessing it must be like a chupacabra. And apparently, like uh, one of the one of the distillery workers saw the. Uh, the chupacabra or the kubacon. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this this brings up a really good point because if you show the the uh, box there, the the tin, uh, I think that kind of like uh, that it looks like a blue flame, but I, it almost kind of looks like it would be like a hellhound, like the snout, yeah, and the face and, and the, the bone structure, yeah. yeah. So I think that's kind of cool. I think that's what they're kind of doing there, and I and I think it's they're kind of holding true to that. Uh, I guess. I don't, I don't want to say history, but maybe uh, lore. So I think that's kind of cool right there. Uh, now, going on to like my typical area of the uh, tours. Uh, so Tomatin has uh, their, vis their visitor center is open from 
10.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. every day. Uh, they do have uh, two different types of tours. They have the one tour, which is called the Taste of Taman. This is the tour, uh, the tour of the distillery, followed by a tutored nosing uh, and tasting of six different expressions of Tomatin, which is a two-hour uh, venture, and it costs 35 Great British Pounds, or f approximately $43 USD. Now, the other tour, which I think would probably be the better tour, and I think if we were to go, this would be the tour that we would go at onto, which is the single cask experience. This is the in-depth a tour of the distillery and the warehouse, and you get a tutored no uh, tutored nosing and tasting uh, venue. Or like afterwards, you get the nosing and tutoring uh, and tasting of that. And you go and with this one though, you only get five expressions of single cask uh, expressions that are exclusive. So you don't really like. These ones are, are you're getting like probably a more exclusive, not necessarily better, but probably a little bit more exclusive, exclusive. And I would imagine probably better, but <laughs> I'm just saying just to cover my bases, maybe not better, but I'm guessing they would be better. They're probably, uh, the, this is a 2.5 hours. So two and a half hours for this one, for this store It's 75 great British pounds or approximately 93 uh, us dollars worth every penny. I agree. <laughs> Even though I've never been there. <laughs> it would be worth every penny. Just the experience. Um, you oh, know. Oh, one more thing. The, the uh, Cuba Con. Every time I hear that, I just want to think Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai! <laughs> Cobra Kai. Cobra <laughs> Cuba Con. Cuba Con. <laughs> strike car, strike fast. No mercy, sir. That's right. And, and as you were mentioning, um, and it is a good way to point out, the box, it's almost, it's a win, but it's almost a fail at the same time in the sense of, you know, part of that myth is you were talking about the distillery worker out for a walk late one night, scared, shaking, trying to reach over and touch this hellhound, which as soon as it gets close dissipates into this blue smoke, as is referenced on this picture, um, the bottle itself, they do a much better job since you get to see the whole thing and it's not wrapped around three square sides of seeing that dog, Ooh. that hellhound look of the dog on ah. the front there. <laughs> so yeah, personally, if I saw a damn hellhound, I'm not going to go pet it. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> what I will do is look for anyone else that I can run faster than and then run in front of them. <laughs> Push them down? No, you don't even have to do that because the sooner it gets them and they're done, it'll come after you. You need to, you need to like, stretch that one out as long as possible. Just stay a few feet ahead of them. <laughs> I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> just like in zombie land cardio cardio <laughs> stretch limber up <laughs> what rule is that is that number two? Oh man i think uh number two is the double tap isn't it <laughs> <laughs> Might be. I, need, I need to revisit my zombie land rules <laughs> all right so as mentioned here um the box is interesting 
Um, great colors. They've done some really nice work here with a matte and gloss black pressed into the cardboard or the stock and um, giving it a feel where it is not just a look, it is actually pressed into that. Um, but at the same time, it does leave me less than impressed with the way they wrapped it around the box. I think there might have, and maybe there wasn't, there might have been a better way to use this beautiful piece of smoke work. <laughs> But where they don't fail you is on the bottle because there you do get to see the whole thing. Um, the bottle, again, like I feel like I do love. I This is A-plus work here, by the way, um, the way they've printed in white uh, paint or etched this onto the front and back of the bottle. Um, but the bottle itself is not impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so without further ado i'm gonna clip this foil and i'm hoping some of that fancy woodwork they're talking about is on the top of this hopefully so <laughs> and it is it's just not that fancy but it is real wood real cork Pretty big, pretty big hole. <laughs> Got lost in there. Too much fisting, huh? <laughs> Cobra Kai. <laughs> All, All right. right. <laughs> now for our warp speed and tasting notes. Cheers. Cheers. Well, you know, it seems like week every week I, I get impressed by a new <laughs> scotch, and this is uh, no different than any other week. I'm impressed with this. I I really didn't think uh, this uh, tomato would actually uh, would de would deliver, so I'm kind of surprised. Maybe because I just don't really know their their distillery all that well. Uh, but um, I really do uh, enjoy this one here. As far as the uh, color here, what I put is a light medium uh copper or or goldish color to it uh I, I like the coloring of it once again i'm trying to be a little bit more liberal with my colors color score so i still gave it a four uh i didn't see a whole lot of particulates in there but i believe it's uh unchilled filtered unchilled right? filtered and which, if I remember correctly, unchill filter is supposed to allow uh, more flavors to come out in a scotch, and I and usually I think sometimes that might also bring out a little bit more particulates. But I didn't see a whole lot of uh, particulates floating around or anything like that, so that's the reason why I gave it a four. The presentation of this box uh, and the bottle, I actually really do like the box, even though it does like the like the horns or ears of the smoke kind of wrap around <laughs> to the side. Uh, Personally, like, 
I don't know. I guess ever since uh, going to the University of Colorado, like when we had the uh, all black <laughs> uniforms, I kind of dig the black on black. So like, I like the matted black with the matted black with the gloss black on the uh, box with that blue flame. I think the one thing that they could have made uh, made this box like stand out a little bit more, or this tin, if you will, is if they made that like a. Uh, like a glossy bluish purple color uh, and make it like stand out and shine a little bit more. Uh, but as it is, I think it's pretty cool. It's not overdone with, uh, it's not too busy. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's on the borderline of being too busy, but the way they've done it, I think it still looks really nice. The etching on the bottle, I do totally dig. I like the, how they have a wooden top. Um, and the bottle, the bottle design itself, I'm not a big fan of the bottle design itself, but the overall package with the, like the etching and the wooden top and, and the real cork, uh, I, I'm kind of a fan of, so I still gave it a four. Uh, as far as the aroma or the nose, so for me, when I first, because we, we just when we open these bottles, we're doing it for the first time. So they are not really having a whole lot of time to have the oxygen hit it and to have it mature and stuff like that. So when I, when we first opened this up and poured it into the glass, as you all saw witness, <laughs> um, my initial scent, uh, what I initially got out of the, uh, the nose or the aroma of it is, uh, citrus and, uh, it's like a grapefruit and orange blend citrus. It was nice and light and very inviting. Uh, it wasn't anything that was like uh, overpowering or anything like that or, or anything that would repulse you. Uh, follow that up with some nice floral scent. Uh, like the floral scent from this nose kind of reminded me of going to like a botanical gardens area or even going to a field where there's like a whole lot of like maybe like roses and other type of like spring type of like flowers and li you know like lilies and stuff like that and uh just enjoying that floral scent with some citrus in there which made it really nice but then i also got hints of vanilla with a smoky oat and peat uh you can still pick up the peat here and you get the nice smoky oat especially like uh when i put it in my hands and kind of warmed it up a little bit the uh, uh the smoky peat really made itself a little bit more prevalent and same with the oak. Uh, but if I didn't do that, it's more of the citrus and floral and the vanilla that I got. And uh, I really dug it. And in fact, the aroma actually was my high point for this one, which I gave it a 28. Really? Damn, son. So I gave it a 28 out of 30. I really did dig the the, the aroma here. Uh, the palette, I also enjoyed the palette quite a bit. And here it, I have it as a nice, subtle smoke and peat throughout the uh, front and mid palette with hints of vanilla sweetness. And I dig that. Like, I'm a huge fan of vanilla. I like it. When I go get ice cream or anything like that, I order vanilla. Um, uh, maybe that's why I like uh, uh, certain kinds of uh of like desserts that are vanilla based or have like a nice vanilla flavor to it. Uh, when I go to like Starbucks, I like uh, during the summertime, I like to get a vanilla bean uh, smoothie type of thing, whatever that vanilla bean uh, drink is. I, so I really do enjoy a nice flavor of vanilla. So I like the vanilla sweetness I get here with that smoky oak and peat. But the finish, 
Oh, sorry. I guess, I guess for the points here, uh, because it was simple and I like that vanilla sweetness with the smoke and the, and the pea and the yolk, uh, I actually gave it 27 points, which I thought was, uh, you know, I, there's still some more complexity. I think it will open up more. I think we'll pick up some other things, other notes in there. Uh, but I was really happy with like the, uh, kind of like with the simplicity I got out of it, but the nice flavors. Uh, now the finish, oh, by the way, it's also medium bodied is what I, is also what I put down as for the finish. It's also a medium finish, but here I got this slight spike of, of sweet spiciness. And as you and I were talking, we thought it was my, it might've been like a sweet chili pepper or something like that. And I think that's kind of, I think that was kind of a nice twist to this because it's not like a super spicy thing is, and it's not, and that spiciness doesn't last very long. It's just like, for me, it was just like a, a quick pow and it was gone. And, uh, but then after that, it just went into a nice lingering smoky peat, which I enjoyed. And it's like I said, it's a medium finish. It did finish dry, which kind of makes me want to drink more of it. <laughs> and, um, for the finish though, because it was kind of a medium finish, I wish it would have lasted a little bit longer. And there wasn't a whole lot of complex here. I actually wanted a little bit more complexity in my finish. Uh, and so I gave this 25 points. Uh, so just to recap, color was four, presentation was four, aroma 28, palette 27, finish 25. That gives me a grand total of 88 points. Um, <laughs> and, uh, would I take this to a black tie affair? Yeah, I definitely would. I think the box and the bottle, uh, would hold up at a black tie affair. Uh, sometimes when it comes to, um, to an event or something like that. Sometimes uh, simplicity, in my opinion, is better than complexity. And I think in this case, simplicity does shine in this. Uh, so yeah, I definitely would take it to a uh, to a black tie affair. Would I take it to a uh, a poker game? If it's a bunch of guys who who enjoy uh, scotches, I definitely take it to a poker game. And this is also one I can see. Uh, Buying an extra one or two and hoarding, hoard, hoard, hoarding it on my shelf, uh, <laughs> and saving it for a you know for a a time to share it with a good friend or whatnot. Um, yeah, so overall, I really did enjoy this bottle, and uh, and uh, you know I think eighty eight is a pretty respectable score, but we'll see what Jesse has to say. Uh, I'm pretty well in line with your assessment. So first off, uh, with the color for me, it is that medium light amber gold, which is coming more and more true. Don't know if there's any color added at this point, assuming it's not. Uh, but a couple things to remember about that. This is 46% ABV, non-chill filtered. And um, they've peated it to about 15 parts per million. So um, not super heavy on the peat, but definitely present there. Um, the color goes with the bottle. And that's why I diverted to the color first is because whole picture, the presentation is a win. If this is something you've got on a shelf, I don't know who would keep a scotch on a shelf. But if there was anybody and they did, this bottle in front of this box is still 
a win. It actually goes well or next to it. Um, the box, as I stated, and I'm not like super excited about the shape of the bottle, but I love all of the extra attention they put to details with the matte and the gloss and the smoke, even though it wraps around. And I don't think you get the full picture unless you really look at the bottle. Um, but the bottle itself, the, the work they've gone to with the uh, etching or the painting and the wooden top, this um, also gets a four for me because they did something different. And sometimes I just have to give credit to people who are going to do something a little bit different and uh, make it awesome. Like this makes me think of it as high end, even though I'm not loving the bottle shape. Uh, but otherwise, it is classy. It is something where, man, this is more of a science fiction movie scotch. I, I envision someone pulling this, this is Isaac Asimov, pulling this off a shelf while he's talking to a man dog or something and pouring them each a drink. <laughs> man dog you know uh, the, the spirits the kubikans uh sibling if you will but um yeah four for presentation four for color and i am finding that i uh, who i've not always been as critical but i'm starting to enjoy some of the lighter colored scotches more than i used to uh so four for color four for presentation on the nose this was not my highest rating uh, but I do think it has a good nose. And it makes me think of spring. And you mentioned walking through a botanic garden. And I believe that's great because what it makes me think of, and it is fresh and it is crisp. There are those hints of orange and grapefruit. I get the teeniest little bit of vanilla, but also the floral. Now, when we say floral, there are different different types of floral. So there is, for example, petunia or daisy or roses, which can have very different scents as well. But then there's also things that are more sticky, um, a little less sweet on the floral notes, like the marigolds or some of those flowers that just damn right stink. <laughs> um, this is not that with a floral note. So that crisp, clean citrus goes into a light, I will call it um, feminine, floral, where it's not pungent or offensive. It is attractive all the way. It reminds me of like my East St. Laurent cologne because it's got this floral note that's still crisp enough. And even though it's feminine, man, I love wearing it. It makes me feel clean and fresh and ready for spring. And that is the nose on this. The nose on this got a 26 from me. So the palette was my win. And the palette, man, I don't mind taking another sip. It is smooth, easy drinking, creamy, um, hint of vanilla, peat, um, then comes in a hint of smoke, and there, then there's that sweet yet somewhat spicy chili pepper spike that you mentioned. But again, it's not offensive. It goes away quickly, but it lets you know it's there for just a moment, um, and then it uh, just almost goes into what begins as a nutty finish, um, medium long, and then I do dig the dry oak that comes out in the finish. They use three types of casks when they were aging this, one virgin American oak, and then the ex-bourbon and ex-sherry casks, and I believe their selection of that uh, virgin American oak being part of it is what helps bring out that dry, nutty flavor at the end. 
which is amazing. It almost has a hint to me of a Nutter Butter cookie um, on the finish where it's, it's, it's nutty, um, but it's, it's kind of like that. It's like you just had the teeniest little bit of peanut butter on something, and all of a sudden you want more. So it's not so much the dry that makes me more. It's not, damn, man, I love me some good peanut butter, and that wasn't enough. That didn't satiate it. I want more. Um, so for the palate, uh, the, the high point for me at 28, for the finish, um, a 26, a good finish, but much like you, Man, for such a good palate and such a good introduction with the crisp and the fresh on the nose, um, it, it was it wasn't quite as high as as that body. Um, so a twenty six. So interestingly enough, even though our points were different in where we both gave it an eighty eight. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's uh, I think it's great and funny all at the same time when we uh, score these bottles and we have the same score or if we're within one or two points of it because it's like you said before we don't share these with each other what our what our points are going to be and also we just end up with uh, approximately the same points on on quite a few of them which is which is kind of nice uh, so it kind of shows that our pals are somewhat similar but different uh, same same but different, but still same. But still, like, value-wise, and I think at the end of the day, that's what we're looking at with this point scale is, is this a value? And when we're talking about this one, it is right around that 65 depending on where you're getting it, maybe $75 range. Um, and when we're talking about an 88-point scotch for 65 bucks, yeah, that's pretty good value, whether you're enjoying it for the palate or the nose, the scent, um, with those pieces, it is pretty impressive that, you know, and, you know, we've had some practice. <laughs> <laughs> so would you take it to a black tie affair? Man, I would take it to a black tie affair. I would try to uh, get a little bit of blue in my tie, or if it's a cummerbund night, the cummerbund, um, definitely the pocket square, if you will, give it that little hint. Um, and then also, though, you know, the, the blue and the white, the hints of blue and white. Um, much like yourself, you mentioned like the one thing is I think the box design is 100% solid as far as the thought process. Um, but with you, like just the smoke, there's something that I feel like I want more from it. And it's insane because there's nothing yeah. wrong with it. I just want more from it. I want more from it. I, I really think like the, <laughs> uh, the color, whether it's like that indigo blue or whatever it is, uh, I think if it was like glossy and it just like shined and popped when it hits the light, like kind of like, yeah, I think that would just like hit it like a, a It'd be the level. next level. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been crazy. It might've gotten our first five for uh maybe <laughs> presentation, yeah. but the bottle, and if it was just the bottle, the bottle is a win. I do love it when they do something a little bit different. I agree. Uh, poker night. Yes, for sure. Um, it is, it is a very good scotch. Uh, poker night, yes. Black tie, share it with friends. Absolutely. And it is a, it is a great variety for a Highland single malt scotch that's not nowhere well, you know, 15 kilometers or so away is its nearest water, um, main water. Uh, with that, it's, it's not... It's not a sea, it's not a briny scotch that we find when we talk about a lot of our favorites, but it's still a great quality scotch. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Also, uh, when you're talking about like the different casks uh, that they use, the three different casks, I think on the finish, the uh, bourbon cask actually uh, makes itself pronounced there too because you kind of get that with that dryness in the uh, finish. It's almost kind of like a bourbon type finish. Uh, like like when you're drinking like a nice bourbon, you kind of get that. Or if you have like a nice old fashioned, maybe like that finish and a nice old fashioned, you kind of get a hint of that. Maybe I think on that on that finish on this, yeah. not not as sweet or you know anything like that, but it's well done. No regrets. <laughs> yeah, definitely no regrets. <laughs> It's time for our shout-outs. My one shout-out this week goes to the scientists who continue to use mold to deteriorate these plastics that are apparently ruining the earth. So they can literally use a backyard mold. Scientists in Australia have done this to get this very uh, resistant plastic to deteriorate basically down to nothing in 140 days. Impressive. It is. It almost alleviates the problem of plastics when they've actually proven that recycling plastics might quite possibly be worse for the earth than just producing <laughs> new ones and throwing the old ones away well now there may be a better solution using simple mold from our backyards to deteriorate it and bring now, it now this to simple mo mold <laughs> Can it become like super toxic to humans? Ah, they haven't gone there yet. Yeah, they haven't gone there yet. Uh, yeah, it's kind of fitting for our smarter challenge. <laughs> well, my uh, give or my shout out is not on topic with our smarter <laughs> challenge, but it is on topic with what we normally talk about with our smarter challenge uh, with our <laughs> shout outs and uh, give it together. Oh. This one here goes. Uh, this shout out goes to Marjorie Taylor Green. MTG, uh, the representative out of uh, Georgia. She called out Representative Swalwell, who's the uh, in a committee meeting, and he's the guy who slept with the Chinese spy. And when she was given the mic to start her first five minutes, <laughs> she goes, oh, I'm not going to get this quote exactly correct, but she's like, oh, that's really great, coming from the guy who slept with the Chinese spy, and everybody knows it. <laughs> Then, in this committee meeting, another Democrat uh, went to go, like, uh, they wanted those words striked from the uh, from the minutes. Oh, of course. Uh, and call a par parliamentary uh, procedure. And because uh, whatever, like, rule that they try to pull up, she won the parliamentary, uh, parliamentary uh, procedure, and th th that statement got to be uh, kept in the notes. So that was a total win for her. Uh, so, and, and here's the thing: if the we all know the guy slept with a Chinese spy, why the hell is he still in Congress? He slept with a with a with a country that we're not complete allies with not even close right now and he slept with a spy that means he probably he, there's a possibility he gave up uh american secrets or you know whatever and he should not be in congress but he still is and uh i think 
that's a total shout out for her for calling him out. We've got two get it togethers this week. Number one, I'm just going to say it and then we'll get there when we do the restaurant review. Marciano's in your remodels. Get it together. Number two is anyone who continues to doubt that we have been in a recession. And now all of the newscasters, politicians, reporters, writers, authors, they're saying, oh, well, now that we might be might be in a recession, um, maybe the only reason that uh, some of our numbers have been looking steady is because even though our sales have gone up 5%, inflation has been 10, meaning we actually shrunk 5%. And it's just the dollars of the things we did sell versus the actual volume of sales. And and it, uh, at the end of the day, it is dollars, but it is still a recession. People are spending less. All right. So my get it together <laughs> is going to Facebook. Oh. So Robert F. Kennedy Jr., RFK Jr., uh, he uh, announced his pres- his pre- he's going to run for president on the uh, Democrat ticket. So today, I think it was today, he uh, did his announcement and it was being uh, broadcasted on Facebook. But within 30 minutes of RFK's announcement, they shut down the feed. And if you know, if for those of you who don't know who uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is, he is a very big advocate for, uh, I would say maybe not an advocate, Maybe uh, a person who points out the bad things about vaccines. And he has called out the government multiple times about COVID, about uh, the vaccines for COVID. And he was dropping a ton of red pills in his speech. And within 30 minutes, Facebook like, bloop, because he was dropping too many red pills about the vaccine, about COVID, and the things that the government has been doing with vaccines. This week, we revisited a past restaurant where we had, in my opinion, a five-star experience. Doesn't get any better. It was absolutely a destination. This being the Maggiano's Little Italy in the Denver Tech Center. Um, It was a great family-style meal. Literally perfect. In my mind, everything went well. Service was great. Food was great. Value was absolutely there. Loved the environment. Loved the atmosphere. Destination status. Um, however, now Maggiano's is doing a lot of remodeling. They're taking a lot of that dark wood and making it cold, white, and gray paint. Um, the service from the experience for me was not there. Um, the service for me started well. And then she just started forgetting, our server just started forgetting things like, oh, well, I should probably take him his wine. Or, oh, well, they've been sitting there 36 minutes for the check. About 36 (laughs) minutes. So I waited an exorbitant amount of time, um, didn't get my credit card back, lots of little fails, and um, then... The food wasn't the same. There had been some changes to the food. So starting off, one win was still the Maggiano salad was still fantastic. Started with a Maggiano side salad. Their bread with balsamic vinegar, oil, a little bit of 
freshly cracked black pepper and Parmesan cheese, also a huge win. Uh, if I had stopped the meal there, the meal would have been a 10. However, it didn't stop there. There it proceeded to the Rigatoni D, which was good, but it was not great. Um, and the Rigatoni D, um, as things continue to increase in price, $26? I think it was 26. Yeah, uh, you know, going up in price, inflation, we get this, no big deal. But the flavor was a little different as well. Um, so at the end of the day, though, it was still an eight for me. I still enjoyed it. I ate every last bit. Um, in the past, though, that Rigatoni 10, the D was a 10. Um, so overall food uh, still gets a high score for me. I didn't have a huge number of things on the menu. Didn't go with an appetizer. I was stuffed as it was. Portions were large. Loved that. Thank you. Uh, overall, food was a nine. Service, man, um, it started out hot, and then it got not. So overall, service was a six. The atmosphere, now they are still in remodel status, and I think it is only fair once they're 100% done that we revisit this in some capacity, or maybe I just will. Um, I don't know how you even feel about going back. We'll find out about your restaurant review here in a minute, uh, because unless it does get better, the next time might literally be my last time. This used to be one of my favorite restaurants, and now it feels cold and uh, it's just not inviting. It's, I don't enjoy what I experienced this last time. So um, atmosphere for me, and this is this does fall into the bottom of the higher end restaurants for me, because I in the past have had no problems going with a date or a friend and dropping $200, no problems. A couple bottles of wine, family style dinner, had no problem dropping huge ticket money. Service was there. The environment was there. It was a destination. Um, now it is not a destination. The environment isn't there. The environment for me is a five. Um, it is a cold five. And then the service was only a six. Uh, food again was a nine. Um, would I meet a friend there? Only if it gets better. Would I take a date there? Man, same story. I want to see when it, no, this remodel is finished. Because um, if it does get a little bit better, there's the possibility. But overall, my rating for this trip was a 7. And I remember when I was given, I would have been given Margiano's a 10 calling it a destination. Now, I would avoid it. I would go to one of the many other places. I'd rather go to the View House than Margiano's as it currently is on the same strip, stretch of road. Ouch. Right? <laughs> But it's a view house. At least we only waited 20 minutes to get our waters, not 30 minutes to get our check. <laughs> Maggiano's, I agree. It probably was a destination point uh, previously. Um, this remodel, if it's anything like in the room that they placed us in with the white and gray walls with uh, with uh, like a dark wooden floor, to me, first of all, that just didn't really match. It didn't really go together. Uh, maybe if they get some kind of like flooring that may, might look like uh, white and gray gray marbling, that might actually like help it out a little bit. But um, the uh, the the overall atmosphere because of uh, of the way the the color coding that they have now felt very cold and impersonable. It felt like the it was like a a like a turn and burn style. They wanted people to come in and leave right away. And it didn't feel very welcoming or inviting or very homey like it used to feel with the dark 
warm colors and the more of the wood, uh, which seemed to have a little bit more of a, if you ask me, a little bit more of an Italian feel. Now it seems more of it's like modernized and and cold. Uh, and I didn't like that at all. Uh, so the atmosphere to me took a huge, huge hit. Uh, the food. We went, we, so this, this, uh, rendition here is about, we went there for lunch. A lot of times restaurants will have a lunch menu, which they said it was a lunch menu and then they have a dinner menu, but the portions were not lunch portions. They were dinner size type portions. Uh, and the pricing was reflective of, of more of a dinner type pricing than it would be for lunch. So I don't think the food to price value was exactly there for a lunch time. Um, these were prices I would have probably more expected paying like closer to dinner time. Uh, the food itself, uh, like you, rigatoni D is like one of my favorite dishes from there. And I didn't like it. I, I mean... It like the sauce seemed a lot more uh, runny and not as creamy as it used to be. The chicken was not the same. I'm not sure if it was like a roasted chicken before or what it was, but this seemed. I mean, the chicken was tender. Don't get me wrong there, but the flavoring didn't seem the same as it used to be. Uh, the uh, the caramelized uh, onions seemed kind of sparse. And I'm not even sure if they use the same type of, uh, of uh, mushrooms as they did before. So the overall, like before, I would say like maybe the dish would have been like uh, like a nine. But now it's more like a six. Uh, and, and really the, uh, I mean, it was good. I enjoyed it. I ate it. And, I ate, and then I ate it later on that day for dinner. But it wasn't like how it used to be. And I really liked the flavoring of it before. Uh, the, the wait staff, she started off really well. Uh, no complaints there. Oh, before I go to the wait staff, uh, <laughs> the salad, it was still on point. I agree. I don't like blue cheese. And to me, the blue cheese crumbles are a little bit too big. I wish they would have been a little bit finer. Uh, or I wish I would have remembered that it did have blue cheese and I would have asked, asked them to remove the blue cheese. But uh, I did eat it. It was still very good. I still enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. Yes, the bread uh, with the uh, balsamic vinegar, uh, vinaigrette, and the uh, and the olive oil was still on point. So I still enjoyed that a lot. Uh, now on to the wait staff. <laughs> uh, like I said, she started off really, really well. Um, but then when it came time to, uh, to for you to order your second glass of wine, she took an extremely long amount of time to get your, your second glass of wine. And we had to wait like a little over a half an hour for us to even get our check. After like you're pretty much done with your drink. And I, and like I was only drinking water for lunch. Uh, and uh, like even my water was almost done. And like, it, like I, I just didn't. I, I don't think the wait staff or the waiting uh, or the service was all that great. On top of that, and I think you were a little bit too kind because you went there a few because you left your mistakenly left your credit card there, and they treated you like crap. So really, the service there should be more like a two for you or a one uh, with the type of service you got for going back to ask about your credit card, which they lost at that point. Uh, it wasn't there anymore. So is it a destination point? 
At this point, definitely not. Um, I I agree with you. Maybe it needs to have like one more shot type thing. Like once all the remodeling is done, maybe I might get a. Uh, we if we do like a family dinner thing again, and we are in the main uh, dining hall area, maybe I might feel better about the ambiance there. Uh, but as of right now, I'm giving it like a uh, a five. I really just I did not enjoy it. The food, I'm gonna give the food a six because <laughs> I, I was really that disappointed about the food. I know the, the rigatoni D. I watched you eating it, and you were not. I was not digging it. No, not at all. Not at all. I actually wish I would have ordered something else. <laughs> and and uh, the service, I'm gonna give that a four. That gives me an average of a five. So Maggiano's is now went from a non-destination point uh, level five points. Would I take a date there? If it's the same type of service that we received, but uh, even though the food is, is still good enough, you can still get there and eat it. Um, it's questionable because I'm not sure what I would get there. Uh, especially when there's like some other nice restaurants around that area. I probably, I probably would go somewhere else now if I wanted to take a date. Would I meet friends there? The only way I meet friends there at this point at now is if it's uh, a special occasion, like a birthday or an anniversary and they wanted to go there, then I would, uh, or like a Mother's Day event or something like that. But I would not be the person who would say, hey, let's go there. I probably would go say, hey, let's go to Fogo de Jao or something like that, which is only like just a little bit down the road. Uh, yeah, I guess that's it. I don't know. The, the, am I missing a a a? a, a no, a, it, it really was a big letdown. I, huge letdown. And again, we we did this because we we wanted to give a restaurant a, a lunch restaurant a review, and we're like, okay, well, we've done them for dinner. Let's go check it out. I think we were really just expecting half of a good half of as a good of experience as we had when we did the family style dinner. Nope, not at all. I'm I'm actually like really bummed. I I, I really expected a whole lot more. Well, the atmosphere alone that I think was the biggest impact to me is because in the past the date in particular experience, as you mentioned, you went in there, it felt nostalgic, old world family, um, old world Italian family, most likely the music, the lighting, um, the environment, the ambiance every little piece of it. And then, you know, I, I want to be forgiving about the fact that it's hard to get good help right now, but this is still Maggiano's like for, for $26 for a rigatoni D, you know, my, my bill for lunch was $60 <laughs> between the salad, the, 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 the plate and two glasses of wine. And it's like, man, for $60, I would have, would done almost anything else first at this point. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It was it was not a good value. It wasn't like it was just so disappointing. And I like I really bummed because I like the place. Yeah. This week's smarter challenge was the TV show based on a video game, The Last of Us, starting, uh, starring, I mean, really the headliner is Pedro Pascal. Um, bottom lines, what do you think about the show in general? 
How do you feel about the thought of zombies or the science behind zombies? And then do you have some favorite episodes or favorite scenes? Okay, where you want to start off? Now, let's go straight to jumping right in. How did you feel about, and I, th- I thought it was well done. How did you feel about their introduction uh, of what became a modern day zombie for this show versus anything you'd heard in the past? Well, I think uh, with a lot of these zombie shows, it all deals with like uh, bio labs uh, working and creating some kind of uh, virus or vaccine. <clears throat> well, usually, well, I guess with the bio labs, they, they'll create a virus and then at the same time, they'll develop a vaccine to protect their people so that way they can use that as biological warfare. Here, it just seems like it's kind of same same kind of premise. Uh, they're talking about like how... Uh, fungus currently cannot grow on the inside of the body, but that doesn't mean like in one of these bio labs trying to create a bioweapon, they couldn't like uh, create like a super strain or something like that to where eventually it could develop inside the body. And then um, hopefully if they did this, and maybe not, I mean, who knows like what their idea of like who they want to give the vaccines to, uh, they might think like the the uh, mass, uh, po- you know, the ma- the masses or the general po- uh, populace, maybe they want to get rid of them because they they see them as uh, u- useless eaters uh, and people who uh, uh, waste resources, and so maybe they wouldn't give them the uh, the uh, type of vaccine that they might have developed with it. But here, in any case, it seems like the fungus uh, for this particular zombie show uh, fungus had uh, mutated or adapted to the point where it could grow inside a human body and uh, and just much like the zombie ants where the fungus in the zombie ant takes over the the bodily functions and eats away the host from the inside that's what's happening here and uh, I, I the science behind it seems sound knowing like what knowing what what we know about bio labs and biological weapon uh, warfare, and I it's uh it's an interesting take because all the other ones talk about viruses rather than and fungus. I did like the introduction here. So it starts out and it's two scientists talking like 50, 60 years ago about what scares them and what is going to be dangerous and what's going to happen. So very much so plays into a lot going on in the world today. One of those things being uh, you mentioned the virus and what about vaccines and what would that take? And two different scientists giving a reporter their views. One of them's like, oh, absolutely. Like it's going to become a super virus or a super bacteria that ultimately deteriorates the world and that scares the hell out of me and um, the other scientist is like man that doesn't scare me at all and the end of the day he's like bacteria and viruses scare me these are the things that scare me here's why with either of those we win we may lose hundreds of lives we may lose billions of lives but at the end of the day we are able to adapt and overcome a virus or a bacteria through uh, a vaccine or just natural changes in the human body that we've done since our since we uh, were either incarnated or uh, mass produced however we may have come to this planet but what scares him and i loved this is a different 
take on it was the thought of fungus becoming a problem. And the other doctor, rightfully so, media challenge, you brought it up. He's like, why would that scare you? Like fungus can't grow inside of a human being. It can't, it can't be a world ender. Like you can get fungus on the outside of the body, but once it gets to a certain temperature, it cannot grow. So ultimately it becomes stagnant or dies. That's why you might get fungus on a toenail when you have poor circulation because your toe isn't staying warm enough. And it's also on the outside. Uh, but the good point was here, we use funguses to create uh, the things we kill other bacterias with. So penicillin and all these other things, we literally use funguses to help uh, grow something to combat them. And I don't know that I loved the thought or the aspect of they're like, well, what would happen if the, the, the world changed and the world got warmer and fungus grew and adapted and all of a sudden it could grow inside of a human being. So I don't like the whole global warming aspect as much that they might be trying to push just a little bit. Um, but I love the thought that they used it if that's really what they're doing to say, yeah, fungus adapted. And in life, in this world, in history, we have seen as different environments have super hot summers or other things going on, entire uh, flocks, herds, species. And one of the most popular one is a species of little deer that was in Africa and they had a really hot summer. The temperature was five degrees hotter than normal. And all of a sudden these deer just started dying left and right. And ultimately for them, it was a bacteria that was growing in their digestive tracts because their bodies were running hotter and the bacteria was growing at a rate their body could no longer fight. Um, so I, I did love the the, the prospect of, yeah, like there, there might come a time where fungus becomes a problem. And at the end of the day, we don't have anything to kill fungus. You get fungus in your lawn, you're best off getting rid of all of the dirt under the fungus and trying to start fresh than you are trying to use a fungicide because all it does is stop it. It never fully kills it. Yeah, and I'm not even sure where I'm not sure if it was in the TV series in that TV series or maybe if I read it somewhere. But fungus is like super intelligent too because there's like studies where they have the fungus and they like set up mazes, and the fungus will learn how to go through the maze and find its way to food and stuff. Um, and it's kind of scary to think like, yeah, like if 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 uh, fungus were to alter. Uh, we don't have a way to combat it. And he, and here's the thing, like right now it seems like, yeah, that's kind of like whatever, uh, because like what, what, what kind of evolution would it take for the fungus to do that? And how many years would it take? It could take a while. It may never even happen, but here's the, here's the thing. When you start talking about bio labs, uh, and biological warfare, and you take into consideration some of the technology as a uh, CRISPR Cas9, where you can change the DNA of things. And you can, so all they have to do is they have to just go in there and they can edit the DNA of the fungus, and boom, now all of a sudden you got a super strain that will like, that can now grow inside of humans, and then we're all fucked. Seriously. No, we wouldn't be. There would be uh, no known recovery or one foreseeable. Yeah. And it all takes is, you know, I mean, right now, even the, the, the CRISPR-Cas9 uh, editing system, it's, it's not even, like, uh, regulated to just, like, government agencies. Like, there's, like, random people who can get it. And you can start fucking around with, like, DNAs and... and 
and altering shit, which right now, no one should be playing guy like altering DNAs of anything uh, because we don't know what the long-term effects will be. I'm still saying, though, if I was a billionaire and I knew a guy, I'd have him make me a Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> I have him make a male and a female Sasquatch so they can have babies <laughs> and fuck things up. I just need one roaming around the woods for real. <laughs> I want two of them so there could be a little family running around screwing things up. <laughs> Can you imagine? Man, tangent time. Can you imagine your kid comes home? Dad, I think I saw a Sasquatch out in the field. Yeah, right. <laughs> then you go out there later, you're chopping some wood, you look up, and there's this Sasquatch family looking down at you like, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, that, that, I don't know if that would be funny, but... Uh, be, be dropping some logs can tell you that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Do you have any favorite scenes? Uh, well, I'll say like kind of like my favorite episode slash scene. Uh, it would probably be like the second half of an episode where um, this, re, uh, this re religious zealot, if you will... Um, tries to take um, Ellie back to their camp and he's successful in getting her to the camp when Ellie is trying to initially protect uh, Joel uh, which is played by Pedro Pascal because uh, Pedro or Joel his character or Pedro's character is injured and trying to survive and really here's the thing like set that all up is like this guy this religious zealous guy group this guy's group is actually the one who injured Pedro Pascal in the first place and this guy's you know talking about like how you know he's kind of like the savior and they're like a good group of people and all this stuff but in, in reality like the kind of the cool scene here is well one you eventually see that in his group of people that they're actually eating humans or cannibals and you got like human bodies hanging up like slabs of meat which uh if you want to talk about like conspiracy theories and uh and um predictive programming there are some uh some uh so-called globalists that believe in uh, that we need to start eating humans to help uh reduce uh, global warming and because animals are uh causing too much pollution and uh there are too many humans on earth but in any case going on further here uh in this episode the really cool part uh so i thought that was kind of a cool scene hanging like those like the the humans hanging up and like the the skins already been stripped off and just seeing like piles of meat but um creepy not cool not not a cool good but a, like a creepy <laughs> cool scene i guess uh but the really cool part about about this kind of like whole section of this episode is uh ally uh, seeing through this guy's bullshit, knowing that he's like a kind of a, a sexual predator and she fucking kills the guy, which I thought was kind of awesome how she did that. <laughs> yeah. Um, definitely one of my more memorable scenes as well is she's sitting there hacking him 20 plus times with a big old knife after he does try to assault her. And it's one of these things where she's a kid. He's a grown man, and she's had to grow up too fast already. And they make this point throughout the show, and I think that that's appropriate. Although I think also most kids have to grow up too quick. They still have to grow up. 
uh, with this though at the end of the day nobody is sitting there going to be like oh yeah it's okay to like just really go to town on somebody for whatever reason and chop them up into little pieces uh, cut them a hundred times do this that or the other whatever uh, but I think one of the few exceptions for most people, not all, there's some out there that believe that that sort of thing should be okay and just give them a, you know, a slap on the back of the hand and let them go. No, uh, most people have probably saw this scene and, and felt very similar to, I imagine, how you and I felt, which was, yeah, like, if that's what it takes for you to get over what was one of the greatest, uh, whether you're religious or not, sins wrongs on the planet <laughs> or anywhere in the universe as one of the worst things you can do I, I you don't cheer for it but you're okay with it instantly yeah definitely <laughs> weird it's a weird feeling but it yeah i was just like oh my god yeah good for you kid <laughs> like from now on no one can do you wrong because you know what you can do you've you've lived the full experience um man uh i think one of my favorite episodes and it's a weird episode to to bring up um was episode three long long time where we have nick offerman playing bill oh. who you find as and what most people consider him even in the show is a paranoid survivalist but what i want to say is he's a you, prepper man dude, i love preppers whatever you want to say paranoid survivalist or what this guy had it set up he had it rigged and good for him he, he did an awesome job it was also very interesting to see him play his role as a gay man um, that part, i didn't really care for the whole gay part but yeah i, I think that was a great episode Dude, just, just, I think they did that intentionally because that would not be what most would normally think is, that's the guy I expected to be a prepper. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, he's not the guy you expect to be a prepper. And I, I love when Ellie and Joel go downstairs and later on they see she they're going because at this point, uh, Bill and his would-be lover um, are no longer alive. They're dead. And they go down and he leaves them a note saying, take whatever you want. I didn't like you, but I trust you. And I think that's one of probably honestly the best things anybody can read or hear is whether or not someone likes you, that they trust you. Because, man, I'll take it at work, especially if I know somebody trusts me, I'll take them that over them liking me any day versus why well, I like you, but I don't trust you. And that that doesn't get you anywhere in work. You will fail at work with that. But so we, they go down there and Ellie sees the wall of guns. And she's like, this guy was a genius. <laughs> I mean, the way he did it as a, as a prepper and how he like uh, bypassed all of the military when they're clearing up places like that. Yeah, that was, I mean, I think if you take out the whole like gay portion of it, I would have, that would probably would have been my favorite episode. Not that like, I'm so like anti-gay or anything. It's just like, honestly, I didn't think that really needed to be there at all. Um, I think they could, it could have, uh, I think they could have done it as like maybe two friends or, uh, or it could have been, you know, like, I don't really think it necessarily you had to push that kind of a agenda there. I think the only reason it couldn't be two friends was because of the way it ended. That, that part is 
Probably true. <laughs> but I thought that was great. All right. Are there any other little things or lines that stuck with you that you remembered? Well, one of the things that kind of stuck with me, and I think it kind of, I think this adds like a new twist to like the whole zombie uh, apocalypse type of thing, uh, dealing with uh, fungi, is how, uh, how they were able to, you could set up on a patch and like miles away, uh, the fungus would communicate with uh, with the already uh, turned people, and will notify where the where the disturbance was. So where they would like these like a uh, massive group of like turned uh, people would come over and trying to take over a wherever these live people are. So I think that was kind of a kind of cool like detail. Um, I think another. Um, Interesting detail that was brought up brought about in this series is uh, totalitarianism uh, type of government and how um, when you rule by dictatorship and stuff like that, how that affects society and like what the repercussions could be and how it can actually turn out to be worse for everybody later on down the road, especially after. Uh, that regime has been taken over, and then what replaces that? Is it going to be a new democracy, or is it going to be a new a new dictator? And I think you see two different types of versions of it. I think uh, in Boston, where they started off, where Pedro and Ellie, you know, they started off their venture, it wasn't nearly as bad. It was bad; people didn't like it, um, but they were surviving. Versus what you saw when they hit Kansas City. And uh, the people got so fed up with it, they uh, killed their overlords, if you will. But then they became overlords themselves, and it, it really it just it didn't change. It like it it really didn't change anything other than who the new dictators were. And I think that was kind of a another interesting fact that they showed in the series. Yeah, um, you bring up, uh, and that comes along with one of my favorite little sayings, quotes, uh, which I don't remember exactly how it goes, but ultimately Pedro Pascal's character Joel says to Ellie uh, about the, and they don't really ever call them zombies that I know of, but the, the zombies or the clickers or the different names they clickers, have. Clickers, infected, or yeah, something like the that. The infected. And he said um, the, that he actually preferred the infected over regular humans because at least the infected were predictable. Whereas regular humans, to his point, he's dealt with it all, and they show it. You mentioned this through the show with the dictatorships and the different groups, and the further you get away from the masses the the more you get into different trains of thought and you do have something like the compound where his brother is at where it's um ultimately socialist but everyone has a role and no one's being dictated yet at least and then you have the other extreme dictatorships where there's one person absolutely in charge it's known and whatever they say goes even when everyone else knows man this this lady is being crazy why are we trying to find this guy still? yeah and then you know and then also you get the uh the cult with the uh religious guy in his group uh and i honestly the socialistic kind of side where, where his brother is we don't know what the uh with the, what the evil underbelly is there because we only saw it for a brief moment. I mean, they try to pass it off as like something good, 
uh, and, and stuff like that. And I think, um, you know, maybe that's subliminal messaging of like, uh, of Hollywood or whatever, trying to say like socialism is better than, than, than freedom or independence, which I'm not in agreement with. <laughs> it will be interesting. One of the things I really enjoyed about this show was uh, Ellie sharing all of her little riddles, if you will, puns, jokes. Oh yeah, yeah, she yeah, that was that was awesome. Dude, it's so great, and it's really great when Pedro beats her to the punch. But man, it was so stupid, but it's so funny when she asks him, "What did the green grape say to the purple one?" And he's like, "I don't know what." And she's like, "Breathe, you idiot." <laughs> <laughs> It's just like, all right, like I get it. I forget what was the author that she was reading from. I cannot remember. I like there's somewhere in a, in that series where he's like, you're no whoever Livingston is or whatever the guy the author's name was. I thought that was probably that was kind of funny because throughout the whole time frame, she's reading like from that book or telling jokes from that book, and then somewhere along the way, he's like, you're no author, you know that guy, <laughs> <laughs> you're not him. <laughs> but they are great, and yeah. uh, I I thought it was fantastic the relationship um, that's built between the two. And what I really want to say about this show is, A, Pedro Pascal has nailed it again, first with The Mandalorian. Then, for me at least, man, you got the unbearable weight of massive oh, talent. Him in the cage in that movie, in that movie is phenomenal. Loved it. Loved it. And now this... And I only can wish this guy the best because he's brought me, my friends, my family, as I watched uh, a chunk of uh, The Last of Us with my son, um, some really great joy. Well, I'm really wrapping it up. I, I will also say, though, uh, Bella Ramsey, who plays Ellie, also does... A Good phenomenal job. job. And her first role of Game of Thrones, man, she was easy to be the one you hated. Like, this this queen is twisted as... Actually, she's that little Lady Mormont chick. I thought she was kind of badass. A lot of people liked her. Right, but wasn't she also, like, a ruler? I mean, she was a ruler of her little area, but she wasn't, like... Everyone loved her because she was, like, a total badass. Right, and she went and she came and saved the day. At one point, she she yeah. she brought her forces, but man, I just thought, man, this lady's like, there's something wrong here. And here I'm like, man, good for this actress um, who's playing these roles so goddamn well. So really nice job, congrats, Bella. Um, I hope these two win some award. And there were some other great actors, um, you know. Offerman does an amazing job. <laughs> yeah, in his episode, he does do a good job. Uh, <laughs> Melanie Linsky, the one who plays the like the leader of the Kansas City group, I am not a fan of hers. But she played her job well. She played her job well, and I think maybe that's why I'm not a fan of hers is because like I did not like that character, which means that she did her character justice for yeah. what, what it was. Yeah. Um, I, overall, I think it's a great series. Uh, it almost made me curious to want to go buy the game and play the game, see what it's like, uh, versus the, 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 the TV series, since I, I do like to play video games. However, when I do play video games, uh, I neglect a lot of other things in my life, so I do not purchase it. All right. All right. Well, for me, that's it for okay. the Smarter Challenge. I enjoyed it, and I look forward to more. 
yeah, I think uh, I look forward to it as well. All right, so uh, next week's Smarter Challenge is going to be uh, Missing 411. Uh, here, this is a, a Pilatus is the author of a study that he did. He used to be a former uh, police officer. And then people had approached him about like how people went missing in the national forests and stuff like that. And he wrote he wrote multiple books about people going missing in the national forest. And he's there's I think now three documentaries. Um, all three of them are available on Amazon. I think two of them you have to uh, purchase or rent, but one of them's still available uh, if you have Amazon Prime. Uh, but I think it'd be kind of inter interesting to talk about that because the National Forest Service does not keep a log of all the people who go missing. And it just seems really weird. So I think we could talk a little bit about that, uh, what we think uh, some of the theories might be, and uh, talk about some of the strange stories that might come along with it. Sasquatch. Sasquatch, yeah. And uh, for the uh, Scotch, I don't know what that is. I didn't pick that out yet. So all right. To be determined. To be determined. Uh, so if you guys have made it this far, thank you everyone for watching us. We greatly appreciate uh, all of you. Um, and uh, please like, share, and subscribe. Leave some comments. If you want to become a patron member, please fill the uh, please take that first link down below in the comment area. And please, 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 please subscribe to us so that way we can hit our goal of a thousand once again you don't have to ever watch this again if you don't like <laughs> us we just want you to please hit that uh that subscribe button to help us out we'd greatly appreciate that and uh jesse you'll close us out man all right so with that remember life is great and hopefully you are taking time to share with your either could be pets family or friends and going on adventures the key point in life when i look back and i think most people feel the same is experiences so hopefully you guys are having an experience watching this show enjoying it taking it as some feedback we will continue to evolve our restaurant reviews um giving uh critical assessments fairly for our experiences to help you guys better judge what you're looking for in the future and you might might very well be like yeah i want a cold ass restaurant it gives me shitty service and charges me 26 bucks for a pasta i'm going to magianos or not that will be something you can call as we continue to catalog these and make them easier for you to review that's part of us getting to those 1000 subscribers so please subscribe because then we can literally bookmark this so anyone can find them easily on our shows um, something we are trying to do as we share with you uh, remember life is great and uh Drink yeah. responsibly. Drink very responsibly. And other than that, <laughs> uh, until next time. Scotchman! Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this evening's episode of Scotch Hour. If you did, please like share and subscribe also if you have not done so already please become a patron member with memberships starting as low as one dollar a month thank you and hopefully you have a wonderful week